Hey everybody, welcome to Offbeat Wall Streets. I'm Frank Miller. You know, most weeks, uh, well, we're a little bit better prepared and we've got a finished script for the intro. I think you dropped a line here, the big BS. <laughs> That's okay. This week, as you can tell, uh, we're shaking up the format a little bit. It's going to maybe wing it, have a little bit more fun. It is the 4th of July week after all. And uh, figure in the spirit of fun and freedom and all that great stuff, we're going to take a little bit of a look at business history. <laughs> you know, what's more American than business? Hey, it is July and Independence Day just passed. So, hey, it's time for barbecues, picnics in business history. And of course, according to all the commercials, it's also a great time for a nice cold Coca-Cola. Now, with that in mind, we're going to take a look at the world's most iconic drink maker. And not just iconic in our time, it's one of the most iconic drinks of all time. In 2005, Tom Standage published his A History of the World in Six Glasses. Coke was one of the six. The others, by the way, beer, wine, spirits, coffee, and tea. They all have some sort of stimulants or depressants in them. <laughs> Go figure. But it turns out, you know, July is a pretty important month for Coca-Cola. That's because two key events in the company's history took place in the very first full month of summer. Now, separated by 69 years, the two events bookend what is arguably Coke's most influential span, a seven-decade run that saw the company become a national symbol and also a historic marker. All right, first, let's roll back to the early days of the 20th century. All right, put on your derby hats and get your mustache wax ready. That should be pretty easy for all you folks listening in Brooklyn. Hey, it's 1916, and Coke is just about to start taking shape as an American icon. I mean, I mean, literally taking shape. But first, let's take a short detour into the 19th century. We'll kind of bypass all the little alleyways that they got in Brooklyn. A little bit scary sometimes. In 1899, Coke signed its first bottling deal. Now, at that time, the company was still run by its founder, Asa Candler, who had bought the formula for Coca-Cola 11 years before. Now, Candler didn't think much of the bottling idea. At the time, Coca-Cola was sold as a syrup to soda fountains. You can think about it like a draft beer in a bar. It was served at the counter with no way to take it home. Candler sold the first bottling rights for a dollar. Now, the goal was to sell the syrup to the bottling company to produce the Coke and earn money from those sales. He wanted no part of the bottling process whatsoever. So this led to the longstanding system where Coke and its bottlers were separate companies. That does remain in place to this day, as a matter of fact, with Coca-Cola bottling operating as a completely separate company. Although it is 35% owned by Coca-Cola, but let's not mire in the details. Anyway, the first bottles were straight up and down like a glass version of, you know, one of those camping thermoses. They were sealed by a metal stopper. The bottle would evolve over the next decade and a half, but remained fairly generic. By 1915, there were a large number of co-competitors available in bottles. So in an effort to distinguish itself from the competition, a new bottle shape was developed. The basic design of the iconic bottle was patented in 1915 by an Indiana company called the Root Glass Company. The company was started by a man named Chapman Root at the turn of the century. And by the time the new Coke bottle came out, the firm had grown to a major enterprise, employing more than 800 people. Now, the 1915 bottle closely resembles the one that would eventually become the classic bottle design. In the original conception, the base was smaller and the middle was fatter. It looked like a kind of like a penguin standing on its feet, sticking out to the sides. Well, we don't have the luxuries of pictures here, so just use theater of the mind, okay? Subsequent tinkering would lead to the bottle shape that appears in the Coke logo today. Now, the bottle was first conceived a couple years later. Now, during a summer day in 1913, it got so hot in Root's Terre Haute factory that the company decided to shut down for the entire day. A small design team stayed behind and set to work on a new bottle for Coca-Cola. Now, they had meant to use the pot of the coca plant as their inspiration. At that time, coca was still a key ingredient of the original Coke recipe, hence the name Coca-Cola. It's also, by the way, the key ingredient in cocaine. 
Mm-hmm. Coca was removed from Coca-Cola's recipe by the end of the 1920s, thankfully. Anyway, the staff at the Root headed for the library that hot day to find a picture of a cocoa pod. Well, they got confused and actually found themselves looking at a cocoa pod, as in the key ingredient of hot chocolate. So this became the basis of the Coca-Cola bottle. In 1916, Chapman Roop signed a contract with Coke that brought him five cents for every 144 bottles made. By the time he died in 1945, Roop was one of the richest men in the state. Well, that's a lot of nickels, huh? Let's jump ahead a few decades. It's 1985. Ronald Reagan is president. The Berlin Wall still stands. Michael Jordan had just finished his rookie season for the Bulls. And elsewhere in Chicago, the Bears are just a few months away from recording the Super Bowl shuffle. Now, while we're in the middle of one of the most aggressive confrontations in human history, namely the Cola Wars, Pepsi and Coke were battling out for soda supremacy. Michael Jackson was among the casualties. Unfortunately, the singer had been seriously injured the previous year when a fire broke out during the filming of a Pepsi commercial. Now, like Coke, the original Pepsi dates back to the late 19th century. But most of the 20th century, Pepsi was and also ran in the Cola fight. In the mid-1980s, though, Pepsi had significantly closed the gap. The company was aggressively courting the youth market, sporting the slogan, The Choice of a New Generation. The company solidified this with a parallel advertising effort. You may remember that as the Pepsi Challenge. This, of course, putting Coke and Pepsi head-to-head in blind taste tests. It was Pepsi's test, so not surprisingly, Pepsi won most of the time. It also didn't hurt that Pepsi was by far the sweeter of the two sodas. That extra sugary jolt helped it to win one-on-one comparisons. So Coke decided to do something about it. Company execs met over Christmas in 1984 to discuss changing the long-standing formula for Coca-Cola in favor of something that could compete more directly with Pepsi's sweeter product. That effort was codenamed Project Kansas. Executives carried on like CIA operatives, secret offices were set up, no paperwork allowed, and there was secure carrying cases for cans of the new product. By April, the new formula was unveiled, the bottlers had switched over by the end of the month, and production ended on the old formula after nearly a century. New Coke, by the way, one of the biggest disasters in business history. Coke gave the launch its best shot with a high-profile rollout that included free samples and the company spokesman, Bill Cosby. Well, well, that seemed like a good idea at the time, but whatever. Coke fans hated the new formula. A group called the Old Coca-Cola Drinkers of America and the company was inundated with complaints. More than 1,500 calls a day came into the company's 1-800-GET-COKE number. Protesters actually hit the streets near Coke's Atlanta's headquarters. On July 10, 1985, Coke finally admitted defeat. The company announced that it was bringing back its original formula. It was considered big news at the time, so much so that networks broke into their daytime programming to alert viewers. The new recipe had lasted all of 79 days. That's, uh, in perspective, less than a fiscal quarter, but nearly twice as long as the biblical flood. The original formula was marketed as Coke Classic. Most people remember it simply as, yuck. (laughs) New Coke continued to be sold alongside the traditional version. It was rebranded as Coke 2 in 1992. And 10 years later, the formula was just discontinued completely. And there you go. Hey, thanks, everybody. This has been your uh, slightly abbreviated and uh, somewhat historical July 4th edition of Offbeat Wall Street. If you like the show, go to iTunes and subscribe. While you're there, rate and review the show. Good ratings help others to discover it, so it is very helpful. Also, make sure you let all your friends know. Check out our website at offbeatwallstreet.com. Follow us on Twitter at offbeatwallstreet. And that's ST like you see on the street signs. And of course, thank you to the big BS Brian Stewart for mostly script writing and co-producing the podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll get an intro on next week's script. A special thanks to our good friends at RTT News for providing uh, a lot of the stats used in this here show. For up-to-date info on the markets, check them out right now at rttnews.com. And as we say goodbye, just remember, things go better with Coke. Unless you're having one with a Pepsi drinker, and then uh, all the gloves are off. 
And next week on the show, we're going to be looking at the history of RC Cola and Fago. And we just lost all our subscribers. Have a great week, everybody. 